0: Looked at the principle of generous living. And last time we looked at the principle of weights, we were oftentimes compared to a runner in a race. And no runner in a race adds extra weight, they take up all the extra they can. There are some things in our life that are sin that have to go. But there are some things that are not necessarily sin, but they will slow us down. We looked at weights. Last week, there's a difference between sin and weights and how to determine them. And many times, doors will close for you if you don't also shed the weights that slow you down. Pastor, what are we looking at? Well, look there in Luke chapter 12. I'd like to read uh, four verses, if you'd follow as I do, beginning in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 16. Luke chapter 12 and verse 16, And he, Jesus, spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that you placed in our hands. A perfect book. No time needs to be wasted on trying to fix it. All the time ought to be used by letting it fix us. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand. I know we're beginning at a very common part of the Scriptures Lord, I think there's much to be learned from this and other places. Lord, I pray you'd teach us yet another principle to live by. Help us to be teachable. Help us to be open. May we be the better for you because of tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know that, uh, preacher, what are we looking at? Well, tonight, if you're taking uh, notes, the principle of eternal investments The principle of eternal investments. And we started uh, tonight by reading this parable, and it was about a prosperous farmer. And as you read it, we find out that this particular year, that this prosperous farmer, that his crops had done so well, that he had no place to store all the harvest. So here's what he decided, look there in verse 17 says, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Verse 18 is what he decided. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And uh, you notice uh, with that decision, this is his reaction to his decision, verse 19. And he says, I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And so, again, this man thought he had made the wisest choice possible. I know every time I read this text, I imagine all the news was right around him, trying to figure his secret. How could he have such a great crop? Some probably figured it was the seed, and maybe some the fertilizer, Maybe some figured, no, no, it's the way he waters it. But, you know, of all the people that were enamored with this man's success, there was one that wasn't. Look there in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 20. But God, now whenever you start a statement with but, it's taking the direction of the story 180 degrees the other way. So everybody is enthused with this prosperous farmer but God. God's not enthused at all. In fact, keep reading Luke chapter 12 and verse 20. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Now notice back there, if you would, in verse number, uh, verse number 19, he talked about his soul. And God corrects him about his soul. Verse number 20. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things, uh, who shall those things be which thou hast provided? And so our Lord was rebuking this man that everyone was congratulating. And our Lord was saying that when your soul heads on to another place, now you and I know that we're made of a body, soul, and spirit. And when we breathe our last breath, our spirit returns to God that gave it. Our body is laid in a grave somewhere, but it's our soul that's eternal. And if your soul has been saved, your soul ascends to glory, goes to heaven. If your soul's not saved, it goes to hell. And so here this man thought that his soul was set because all of his earthly possessions were in order. And God said, it doesn't really matter about your earthly possessions. And God said to this man, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And the Lord was saying, notice it says there in verse 20, but God said unto him. So it could be that no one else, none of the reporters, none of the fellow farmers, none of the neighborhood saw or heard these words, but he heard them. Again, verse 20, but God said unto him, thou fool this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Now, if you look real closely at that, God is saying that your soul is going to depart tonight. And all these things that you have put so much investment in, they're not going with you. Whose are all these things going to go to? And so again, he thought that he had made the wisest decision and God really said, you've made a foolish decision. Because all of your investment has been some, for something that's temporary. Again, my title tonight is The Principle of Eternal Investments. And you know, just to set it clear, I don't have anything negative to say. About being successful in secular work. You ought to do the very best at whatever work that you have. This isn't a slam on people that are hard workers. God bless you for it. The Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. But because every secular endeavor is not going to go with us when we pass on, if All of your investments in this life have been in the secular. Just like this man who God called a fool. God would say your choices have been foolish. So this is not a slam on being successful at work. Unless that's the only thing that you've been successful at. Uh, secondly, this is not a slam on buying some nice things. I mean, he, he was going to build another barn, a bigger barn, and th- this, this message is not a slam against that. There is nothing wrong if you have been honest with God and given God his part, and you have been honest with creditors and whoever you owe money, you have given them their part, What you do with what's left over is between you and God. And as long as it's not immoral or as long as it's not illegal, whether you buy a hunting rifle or a fishing boat or a newer vehicle or a bigger house, this is not a slam against that unless all of your earthly investments have been in earthly things. Then God would say that's a fool. The third thing this is not a slam against is you preparing for the later days of this life. Now, folks, every one of us one day is going to work our last day. And every one of us, I suppose, is going to retire. And so the scriptures have nothing to say about you putting away something and investing something for the later days of your life unless that's the only thing that you've invested in if you've not invested in eternal things but all of your investments have been in earthly things then you've made a mistake so again we're looking this evening at the principle of eternal investing uh, you can let go of luke look there if you would in matthew chapter number six Matthew chapter number 6, and I'm going to end with this question. And so don't fall asleep, but if you did fall asleep, this is the question we're going to end with. How much spiritual investment have you made? Pastor, I've started a good business, I've got a nice home. All those things are wonderful in their place. Nothing is wrong with any of those things. But if listen, there are no U-Hauls being pulled in the back of hearses. All the material things that you have, all the friends that you have made, all of that stuff stays here when your soul goes to eternity. And so, if that's true, how much eternal investing have you made? So, look there in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19. Matthew 6, verse 19, our Lord is saying these words lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Why not? Where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. That's the why not. Verse 20, but, so we now take an 180 degree turn, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now, you know, if you listen to all the leading voices in the world, they will tell you a great deal about investing. And again, this is not a slam against investing. They'll tell you how to grow your wealth. They'll tell you how to spend your wealth. And if you don't know how to grow wealth because you don't have any wealth to grow, they'll then tell you to borrow and then spend what you borrow. And so there's lots of books. Probably the number one kind of book being sold in bookstores is how to get wealthy, is how to earn money. It's how to get rich. That's, That's the number one that's out there and some of the biggest selling books are exactly on that subject. Some will say the best thing you could do is put all your money in a bank. I'm not sure that's the best wisdom. Some will say, no, no, you need to invest in stocks and bonds and mutuals. And if you listen to the, those voices, they'll each try to persuade you why the other guy's ideas won't work, but their ideas will work. And yet when our Lord was on the earth, he talked about investments too. But his investment advice was completely different. Look again at verse 19, Matthew 6, 19. He says, lay not up for yourselves. So he's talking about the place not to invest. Treasures upon earth. And the reason that he gave that, well, he gave in the rest of the verse because he said moth and rust can get to it and thieves can steal it. Instead, and it's a good thing, our Lord just didn't say what not to invest in. But verse number 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So our Lord really spelled out two options. And if you're taking notes, there are two options when it comes to investments. There are two options when it comes to investments. One option is investing in earthly things. And the second option is investing in heavenly things. I think that you'd agree that lost folks who live on this earth for the most part are investing in option one, earthly things. They're looking to accumulate earthly wealth by using their time, energy, money to get more. And sad to say, we can't say that all saved folk have chosen option two. There's plenty of saved people that are pursuing the same goals as lost people. And so whenever someone makes a decision about investments, you know one of the biggest considerations is risk. If you've ever talked to someone about investment, they said, well, you need to take into account the risk of investing in this. So they'll say these things are low risk, but they're also low profit. And if you invest in these things, there's a little more risk there, but there's also more profit. And if you invest in these things, there's a lot of risk, but there's also a lot of profit. Well, you know what our Lord is saying in this text here? He's saying if you invest in the things of this earth, there's a lot of risk because moths can get it and rust can get it and thieves can break through and steal it. On the other hand, he said, if you invest in the things of heaven and the things of eternity, there is no risk. I remember years ago, uh, my wife and I had just a little bit of money, and so we went to a professional investor in town, and uh, he talked about all the things that we could do at low risk. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know. So I took his advice as gospel. and He was a Christian man, so I thought that would be safe. And uh, I'll agree, the next few years were tough years. I remember we went back to him in about three years and said, how have we done? Well, and as soon as he started, well, I know we hadn't done well at all. And he said, to make a long story short, I said, why don't you stretch it out? <laughs> to make it a long story short, we haven't made a single nickel on that investment. I said, you've had it for about three years. He said, I know. I said, so let's be honest. I haven't made any money on this investment, which you probably did, didn't you? Well, I had. Everybody has to live. I said, so you have to live on my money. Do you understand when you make a choice about investments, there is always a risk to take into account. Used to be say that uh, you know what the safest place to put your money is in a bank. If you paid attention in the news these last six months, there are banks that have gone bankrupt. And so the banks are no longer safe. Others have said if you invest in land and invest in housing. And yet you know it's true that there are some people that bought a house and the rates were high. Now, ten years later, they're trying to sell it, and they're selling it at a loss. Some of the advice that you are given is really leading people astray. I say the first thing that we learn about uh, eternal investments is there are two options when it comes to investments. And uh, whether you do well in investments or whether you don't do well in investments, the same truth holds true. When you die, none of it goes with you. I give you a second truth that we find about investments. i look there in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter number 14 and verse number 3. So the first thing, there are two options when it comes to investments. First is in earthly things and the second is in heavenly things. Second thing, Mark chapter 14 and look there if you would, verse number 3. Jesus is getting closer to his arrest by this time, Mark fourteen three, and being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he, that's Jesus, sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. You know, it almost seems too good to be true that you could invest in that place called heaven. And you'd never lose it, it could never be lost, it could never be stolen, it could never be taken. And yet, preacher, why wouldn't everybody invest everything they had in eternal? Well, there's a catch, see, I knew there. The catch is, whatever you invest there, you can't invest that same amount here, because it was already invested there. If, if I could put it this way, you can't invest the same thing in two different places. Let's say you have, have $10,000 extra. So let's say it, it's not true, but let's say it. If you came into windfall and you had 10,000 extra, you could choose to put that 10,000 on the mortgage of your house. You could choose with that 10,000 to buy some kind of a vehicle you could choose with that 10,000 to go out and buy whatever. But you can't with that same 10,000 do all three. You have to choose which one of those things that you will do. Here this woman who comes into this home where uh, Jesus is sitting, this woman takes this alabaster box of ointment, and it was a sealed container. It's not like she could pull the lid off and pour a little bit out and reseal it. If she decided that she was going to break this alabaster box of ointment and put it on Jesus to anoint him, she couldn't use that same ointment for something else. She had to make a choice. If you're taking notes, the second thing we learn about uh, eternal investments is every investment made in one will cost you in the other. Every investment made in one will cost you in the other. So again, if you decide, I'm gonna take everything I have, and we're not going there. If, if you decide though, I'm gonna take everything I have and invest it eternally, oh, then it's gonna cost you on this earth. There are going to be some things on this earth that you're going to go without. On the other hand, if you, like many, decide that you're going to invest everything you have in things of this earth, then you won't have something to invest in. You have to make a choice. If you choose there, it'll cost you here. If you choose here, it'll cost you there. This woman wasn't given a second option. She used what she had for an eternal thing And by doing so, she forfeited using that same thing for an earthly thing. Now, hold on. I'm not saying that a Christian should invest every dollar that they have in spiritual things. I fear some of you think I'm going that way. Listen, folks, we all have to live, which means we all have to live somewhere. So you're either going to have a mortgage or rent unless you've paid it off. So you're going to have to spend something for where you live. All of us have to eat. Now maybe not caviar and steak, but all of us have to eat. So you're going to have to spend some of what you have for food. All of us have to get from point A to point B. Unless point A and point B are only 100 feet apart, you're going to have to get some kind of vehicle And with a vehicle comes insurance, with a vehicle comes gas, with a vehicle comes repairs. I am not saying that as a Christian, you're not right with God if you don't invest everything that you have. And I'm not saying that. But I am saying to the degree that you invest what you have there, you no longer have that to invest here. And whatever you decide to invest here You no longer have that to invest there. I say, secondly, we learn every investment made in one will cost you in the other. And so this woman took this alabaster box of precious ointment that she had obviously saved for something very important. And she decided that uh, the Lord was very important. And so she broke it. She broke the seal. She poured it out on Jesus' head, And as soon as she broke that box, she couldn't use that for something else. i give you a third thing. Look there in Mark 14, the very next verse, verse 4. So right after she did that, verse 4, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? Could I say third, expect to be criticized. When you invest your very best in God, expect to be criticized when you invest your very best in God. This woman did a commendable thing. This woman took this alabaster box of ointment, she broke it, and she used it to, uh, to uh, anoint the Lord. And uh, the response to what she did in the end of verse 4 there were people there that said, what a waste. Could you imagine anybody saying that someone else using what they had to honor the Lord would be a waste? And yet there's always somebody like that. When a young person decides that they are going to give their life to serve the Lord, there's always somebody that's going to say, what a waste. I remember hearing Brother Hiles, Brother Jack Hiles, he's in heaven. I remember hearing Brother Hiles uh, tell about the night that he surrendered to preach. Now Jack Hiles, by his own admission, he says he was a little scrawny little guy, and no one took a second look at him. And he said, But the same day or same service that he walked the altar or walked the aisle to the altar to surrender to full-time ministry for Christ. Was the exact same day that Joe Boyd, how I many of you have ever heard the name Joe Boyd? Joe Boyd, uh, some of you know John Elwood. John Elwood went to work at a Christian uh, ministry camp that was started by Joe Boyd. Joe Boyd became a very well known evangelist. Big guy, six foot six, 300 pounds. He didn't mess with Joe Boyd. Joe Boyd had been a football player before he surrendered to the Lord. And do you know when those two men in the same service walked to the front and got on their knees and dedicated their life to the Lord, people didn't criticize uh, Jack Howes because they said he'll never accomplish anything in his life anyway. Good luck. But you know what they said about Joe Boyd? What a waste. He had such a promising career. Boy, he could have been football, go all the way to the NFL. What a waste of a life. I say to you that whenever you decide that you're going to invest your very best in God, expect to be criticized. And look what these people that were criticizing this woman, look what they said that should have been used for. There, if you would, in verse 5, Mark 14, 5. For it, that's this ointment, might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. They, they would rather it have been invested in helping poor people than to honor our Lord. And if you decide that you, instead of pursuing social endeavors and all the rest of that, decide that you're going to dedicate your life to the Lord, you can expect that there will be criticism for doing that. Now, you would think of all places where this woman should not have been criticized was in this home. See say, why? Look at verse 3 again. Look at this home that this took place. Mark 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, I don't think he had leprosy at this time. Why? Well, he wouldn't have been in a house. He would have been sent outside the city. He would not have been allowed with his home, with his family, leave alone, have others in the same home. I have to believe that this man used to be a leper. And God did a miraculous thing in his life. And he's now back at home, back with his family, able to invite the Lord himself to his home. I would have think that this would have been the last place were anybody that gave what this woman gave would be criticized. Could it, is it possible that he forgot all that the Lord had done for him? And folks, when you and I forget all that the Lord's done for us, how quick we'll be to criticize others that give their very best to the Lord. Uh, look at the Lord, how the Lord defended the woman, verse 6. And Jesus said, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Jesus commended her for the sacrifice she made. And then look at verse 9. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. I think that she made an eternal investment. Having said that, let me give you the fourth thing and I'm done with this. We've looked tonight at there are two options when it comes to investments. There are earthly investments, there are heavenly investments. Secondly, every investment made in one will cost you in the other. You have to make a choice. Third thing we've learned is expect to be criticized when you invest your very best in God, because always somebody won't like it. And the last thing, would you look there at Daniel chapter number 12? Daniel chapter 12 is where we'll start for this. But the last thing is, what kind of investments can reap eternal rewards? Pastor, you've talked about you can invest in earthly, you can invest in heavenly. Pastor, what kind of investments can reap eternal rewards? Well, let me give you a number of them, and then we'll close. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. What kind of things, preacher, could I do that's an eternal investment? Well, Daniel 12 verse 3. The Bible says, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. The Bible says, first of all, that any time, talent, treasures that you spend trying to get the gospel to sinners is an eternal investment whether it's your money to buy the tracks, whether it's your time to hand out the tracks, whether it's your going out of your way to speak to a lost soul. Look at the verse again. It says, and they, so we're talking about the people that do this, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Folks, any investment in getting the gospel to sinners is an eternal investment. Now, that you spend time doing that, and there'll be people to criticize you. Didn't you have a better use of that hour, that too? Not a better use eternally. Well, I, I, I'm not saying quit your job and become a missionary in a third world country unless God's called you to do that. I'm saying with all that you are busy with, have you somehow taken some time to invest in getting the gospel to lost sinners? Because all of the other secular earthly work that we do will stop when we pass on. But the time that's invested in winning a sinner to Christ... Folks, that's an eternal investment. You see, a preacher, that's Old Testament. Look there in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Paul was writing these believers in the city of Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And look there in verse number 19. Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Paul was the one that had led these people to Christ. And Paul says, you know what? One day I'm going to receive a crown. And my crown was investing in the salvation of you that are now saved in Thessalonica. God bless every Christian with as busy as their life is that you stop your life just long enough to invest in getting the gospel to sinners. I give you a second thing that's an internal investment. You're in Thessalonians, just a couple of books earlier, is Philippians chapter 4. Pastor, what kind of investments can reap eternal rewards? Well, first, any time or talent or treasure that you spend trying to get the gospel to sinners is an eternal investment. The second thing I would say, look there in Philippians 4, and look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. What's he talking about? He's talking about an eternal account. Folks, one of these days, every Christian is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and God is going to open the record of all that we've done. And here Paul commends these Philippians. Paul said, as I was a missionary traveling from church to church, city to city to start churches, he said, well, God bless you, Philippian believers. He said, you didn't just send it once, a love offering to help the ministry. He said, you sent it again and again and again. Look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, so when he was in that city, ye, that's Philippians, sent once and again unto my necessity. And he's telling them, I'm not saying this because I've got my hand out wanting more. Not because I desire a gift. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I say, secondly, any time, talent, treasures that you spend trying to help grow the saints. Okay, so now they're saved already. All of our investment is not uh, in getting sinners saved, although that's an important part. But any investment that's made in helping those that are now saved to grow, and you know, that, uh, that could be uh, preaching. could be Sunday school teacher. could be one of dozens of those that are busy in a local church. And I'm saying any investment in helping other Christians grow is an eternal investment. Pastor, how do you know that those things are eternal investments? Because the Bible talks about God giving crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. And those are the things that are given a crown that lasts for all of eternity. So God bless you for your job, keep working. God bless you for keeping your house tidy, keep it tidy. God bless you for raising your children, keep raising them. (laughs) God bless you for keeping your car in order, good luck. But folks, the things that are eternal investments don't somehow get so busy with all of those things That somehow you have no time for eternal things. Try to find the book of Nehemiah. I think it's the last place that I'm going to have you turn. Uh, The book of Nehemiah. If you uh, get to Psalms, you've gone too far. Before Psalms is Job. Before Job is Esther. Before Esther is a little book of Nehemiah. Look there in Nehemiah chapter 1. And really what got me thinking about all of this eternal investments was uh, this book of Nehemiah. I just taught it last night in Institute, a quick overview. And this book of Nehemiah is about a man that was in the palace of Shushan. So you know where Canaan is. If you went north and then if you went east from that, you have the Tigris River, Euphrates River. Just beyond that, there is Shushan. It was the capital of Persia. Persia was the world power in this day. And there was a man that was in that palace. His name was Nehemiah. Look at his job, Nehemiah chapter 1, the very end of verse 11. He says, for I was the king's cupbearer. He had a pretty good job. His job as a cupbearer, I guess, was whatever the king was about to drink. He first had to take a drink of it. And then, if he didn't collapse from some kind of poisoning, then he gave it to the king. You'd have to understand that this man Nehemiah he had a good job. He was set for life. He was taken care of well, good clothes, good house, all the rest of that. And yet, the Bible begins this book. Look there in verse number one: "The words of Nehemiah the son of Hakkaline, and it came to pass in the month Chizlui, in the twelfth, uh, sorry, twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace." That Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity here in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Verse 4, And it came to pass, when I heard these things, that I sat down and wept." And mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God. Nehemiah, why bother? You've got it made. You have a good job, a good home. You've got it set for life. Nehemiah was able to look outside of his satisfied life and look at some people that were hurting and look at some people that were in trouble. And if you know this book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah approached the king and he said, I would like, O king, your permission to go and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and rebuild their walls. And that's what this whole book of Nehemiah is about. Why bother? Because all of his plush life wasn't investing in anything eternal. And so he said, there's got to be more to life than a nice house, than a nice horse, than a nice income, than a nice wardrobe. I've got to do something that has eternal value. Look there in Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter number 3. And look there in verse number 8. When you get to Nehemiah 3, Nehemiah is now to the city of Jerusalem. He is now orchestrated that this family will build this rebuild this gate and this part of the wall and this family will rebuild this gate and this part of the wall, and this family will rebuild this gate and this part of the wall. And uh, notice what it says about some of these that were doing that building. Look at verse number eight, Nehemiah three, verse eight. Next unto him repaired Uzziel, the son of Herhiah of the goldsmiths. Hold on a minute. That man had a good job. He was a goldsmith. He made, no doubt, jewelry, probably made a good income. He was set. But somewhere in this whole thing he thought, all of my good occupation isn't investing anything eternally. I want to have a part in rebuilding that wall. Keep reading Nehemiah chapter 3, look there in verse 9. Oh, keep it, we never finished, verse 8. Next unto him repaired Hananiah, the son of one of the apothecaries. That's medicine. That's a, that's a drugstore man. He probably had not made. And yet he said, you know what? All of this occupation isn't setting anything for eternity. I want to be a part of something that's going to have an investment eternally. Here, here's my point, I'm almost done regardless of your occupation regardless of your success regardless of your home your vehicles regardless of all of that when you breathe your last breath all of that is of naught. when it comes to eternal investing folks don't let this life pass and be a success from the worldly standards, and be empty-handed from eternal standards. I remember as a young preacher, I, I preached a message. And my message was, will you have a tent or a mansion? And I don't know how doctrinal it was. I like to preach it. And the thesis of the book was, The Lord certainly has mansions in heaven, but whether you get a mansion in heaven depends upon what eternal supplies that you send up. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Too many Christians think when we get to heaven, we'll all be the same. We'll all have the same. We'll all be rewarded the same. That is contrary to the word of God. Heard this cute little thing. The story is told of a miserly old Christian man who finally died. He presented himself at the pearly gates, and St. Peter greeted him and escorted him to his new heavenly home. And on the way there, they walked past some elegant mansions till they finally arrived at a broken down shack at the end of the street. St. Peter said, This is yours. He was so shocked. He said, Why am I left with this rundown shack? when all of these others have such fine mansions, and St. Peter said, well, sir, we did the best we could with the investments that you sent us. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If this is true, what is it that you and I have done in the last seven days That's an investment in heaven. Or is it all an investment here? Even the richest and the most well-known and the most affluent, if they don't take time to invest in eternal things, they will not be the richest in heaven or the most affluent. Let's pray. Father, we have looked tonight at another principle. (laughs) And the principle is of eternal investments. Lord, I said at the beginning, we're not making fun of anyone that does well in this earth. We're not suggesting that everybody that's right with God has to give it all away to the work of God. We're not saying that. What we are saying is if the sum total of everything that any of us have done on this earth is only earthly, then in God's estimation, that was a foolish choice. Lord, we have two choices. We can invest earthly, we can invest heavenly. Where we invest in one, we can't invest it in the other. If we decide to invest it in the things of God, there will be criticism for it. Lord, regardless of the criticism, this woman took the most precious thing that she had, she broke it and gave it to Christ. Help us to give the most precious things we have to our lord because you're worthy we ask it in jesus name amen